podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Hello and welcome to a very special It's All Cobblers to Me preview show. With the postponement of Saturday's game with Walsall leaving us nothing to talk about on this week's pod, we thought we'd turn things over to preview Tuesday night's trip to AFC Wimbledon instead. So let's hope we haven't jinxed it by (laughs) releasing a preview show like we did for the Walsall match. Uh, To help me do that, I'm here as usual with my good friend, Mr. Charles Cummins. How are you, Charles? Hiya, Danny. I'm all right. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah, um, I just want to start off by just thanking uh, Tom from One Pod Beyond, which is the yes. Walsall pod, because we, we recorded a preview show on Wednesday night, ready for the Friday. And then, of course, on Thursday evening, the news broke uh, about Her Majesty the Queen's passing. And so I decided that because we didn't know what was going on at that point in terms of the football, mm. I just thought, right, Normally, I schedule the episodes to always come out at 1am. So basically, it's to make sure that you guys that are listening that are in the UK, when you wake up, you know, whatever time that is, 5am, 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, it will be there waiting for you to be able to listen to either while you're getting ready for work or while you're traveling to work. Um, But I decided to just unschedule it and uh, wait to see what was going to happen. And then, of course, we we found out that the football for the whole weekend was going to get postponed. So, therefore, I just didn't release the episode. Um, but I wanted to just sort of say thank you very much to Tom and One Pod Beyond for <laughs> giving up their Wednesday evening to come and speak to me and Danny, even though it ended up not being released. Yeah, strange old Thursday for you. You travelled down to do radio Northampton and then what was it about half an hour, 40 minutes in, was it that you had to just completely switch off, switch over to the news? Yeah, it's, was it, 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 it was really weird. So we kind of, so I, I travelled down to Northampton and I got there at around about half 12, one o'clock, something like that in the afternoon. Mm. And I popped down to the football club because I had to drop off all the equipment that was being used to record the fans forum. Um, I spent some money in the club shop and uh, got my home shirt, Danny. It's I was going to say, what did you buy? Yeah. It is beautiful. Gnome? Or- uh, no, no gnomes. no, no gnomes. No gnomes. There weren't any there, actually, thinking oh. about it. Um, but yeah, bought some bought some merch. And then um, I headed up the hill and just sat in the Six Wheels Tavern for the afternoon. And I that was actually when I edited the preview show. <laughs> and I was editing it uh, while having a little bit of lunch. And next to me was a big TV and all of a sudden we saw the news and I was like, oh, what's going to happen here? And I was editing the preview show just going, this is futile, isn't it? There's no point in me (laughs) doing this. But anyway, I'll carry on. And all afternoon, I didn't hear a word. I didn't hear anything from Jake at Radio Northampton. I didn't hear anything from the guys at the football club about, you know, what was going to happen. And the reason for that was that there there was nothing at that moment all the way through the afternoon. Um, you know, going on to make a decision about. Essentially, until there had been an announcement, it was just carry on as normal. Mm-hmm. And so I went over to Radio Northampton at about quarter past five, something like that, met with Jake, met Kieran Bowie, and, uh, and, and, and Heidi as well, her Game 2 ambassador for the Cobblers. Mm-hmm. And we went on air at six o'clock, and we, you know, started... The, the Cobbler Show on, on the BBC. And then at half past six, Jake came out of uh, the Radio Northampton jingle that normally goes straight into the Soccer Six theme. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you've ever... Or the yeah. Super Six Super theme. Super Six, is, yeah. Sorry. Um, the theme tune. Um, and 
in, instead of going while we were basically playing that jingle, all of a sudden all of our phones had a notification on, and it was the announcement. Mm. So at that point, Jake kind of came out of that jingle, not really uh, a bit unsure as to what to do because the actual BBC system hadn't kicked in, hadn't said the announcement is here, even though we were seeing it on our phones. The actual protocol hadn't quite reached properly or or whatever. I don't know exactly what had happened, but basically the producer was frantically trying to sort out, is this, you know, right? And what do we do? Where are we going? And so Jake was just filling for a moment. And then, of course, you know, it was official and we had to um, basically throw over to, to Five Live. So mm. our recording basically stopped or our show stopped and it... it it was weird actually the studio just got locked out completely um of being broadcast um so after 10 minutes of sort of just you know taking it all in uh we then decided to record another sort of 20 minutes just to have some basically poor kieran (laughs) had got lost in northampton trying to find the radio studio in the first (laughs) place uh and then halfway through his first ever appearance on it um you know it all got cut off and shut down um, so we recorded a, about 20 minutes more that I, I believe is available on BBC Sounds as a podcast. Just search The Cobbler's Show on there, um, which included Kieran's uh, Super 6 um, and a bit of talk about her game too as well. Um, and then after that, I then headed down to Sixfields basically to go and pick up my stuff because we weren't going to do it. You know, the forum was cancelled, quite rightly so. Um, and when I got there, there were a few people that had made it to Sixfields. I think essentially they'd either left before the announcement had been made because they were coming from a bit further afield um, or they just decided to go down anyway. Um, so there were a handful of people there and basically Kelvin Thomas, James Whiting, Tom Cliff were there as well. And we just, we just had a chat for about an hour, just chatting about different bits and pieces, talking about obviously the news. Um, and then after that... Um, Myself and uh, two of our patrons, Gareth and Valerie, we went up for a bite to eat back up to the Six Horse Tavern for some nice. tea. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, oh, it was a, an event Strange old day. day. Yeah. yeah. Um, two bits of thing from Kieran Bowie as well. Mm. Bowie. Bowie. Bowie, exactly. That's one of our things. <laughs> Confirmation that it is Bowie and not Bowie, which has proved Bowie. me completely utterly wrong, but we've got that confirmed. <laughs> uh, you, you sent me some bonus content as well of him answering my question about putting waffles in the toaster. I did, yeah, because you, um, you'd sent that in on Twitter, hadn't you, to Jake? And I just yeah. got a WhatsApp from you saying, if Jake doesn't <laughs> ask my question, I will riot. <laughs> and I thought, well, I will, uh, even if it doesn't get asked, asked on the radio, I will make sure that you find out. Yeah. So, and the answer was no, wasn't it? I think he's, he's yeah. never put waffles in the toaster. Yeah. The, the polite answer that you received was just a very, yeah, no, I've not done that, Danny. Yeah. yeah. The <laughs> one that he told me off air <laughs> <laughs> had a bit more uh, quizzicalness about it, oh, I think. <laughs> nice. Uh, it seemed like a good guy anyway, um, Kieran. Yeah. Lovely it's bloke, actually. Sure. And, you know, the really interesting thing, because obviously he, he's been called up to the under 21 Scotland mm. squad. Yes. Um, really interestingly, we were all, when he walked in, you know, Jake and I, we congratulated him on that. And don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that he wasn't bothered, right? But he just kind of, he actually was like, I'd, I'd rather be playing for the Cobblers. Oh, really? And I was like, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Lovely guy, really nice. Uh, I mean, he's 19 and yet he was still two inches taller than me, you know, a lot more muscular than I am as well, to put it politely. Um, and just a, a really thoroughly decent young man, I thought, um, and a good laugh. He was yeah. he was fun. He was good fun, and he was good value as well. It was great to meet him. Mm, he's he's going to be missing the home game against Stockport, I think it is, isn't it? And I then, believe so, yeah. <laughs> I saw something where it said, he's also likely to be absent for the Papa John's Trophy game with Cambridge. Mm. Um, not as important. I mean, he's probably not going to play that anyway. So. Probably. <laughs> well, uh, who, who knows what who knows? what the plan was. But um, I would not be surprised, if because I think he plays two games for Scotland and the 21s yes, when yeah, he's away. Right, Both. Yeah friendlies mm. and i think that's basically why he was a bit like i'd rather be playing for the cobblers because mm. they're just friendlies and they're not you know full-on um mm. competitive internationals um but 
He, no, it's great though. Good for the good for yeah. club as well, and good for him. absolutely. But yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him only feature for a bit rather than play both games for a full ninety minutes each. Yeah, yeah. I imagine it would just be one of those that's yeah. rotating a little bit, wouldn't it? But yeah, always good to see a bit of international activity. Oh, and uh, absolutely, someone else might. We, we mentioned this on the uh, Warsaw preview show, but it's not been announced <laughs> yet. So we'll mention it again. How many times can I slip this in before it actually gets announced? Uh, Samuel Tobias Hoskins slash Samuel Tobias Goat nominated for League Two Player of the Month, and he's got to be winning it. Surely you would have thought. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Nine think... times out of ten, it goes to the top scorer, doesn't it? Yes. Especially when they're miles ahead as well. You know, yeah. I, know I, I say miles. I know it's only two goals ahead, isn't he? But I mean, it's the first month of the season. They scored from a corner, Charles, as well. <laughs> and he scored from a corner and yeah. a delicious free kick away at Crawley. Yeah. There we go. How, did, how would he not? And he should have two assists. I know he's only got the one, but he should have two. I mean, yeah, it, it should be. Do, yeah. do you like how I managed to make sure that I got it all right this time, despite the how getting oh, the yeah. award wrong <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> when we recorded the Walsall. Yeah, I don't need to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's up against Paul Smith, Luke Waterfall and Ben Whitfield for that. So he's got to be, he, he has to win it. You'd imagine. Yeah. But uh, that's enough from us, I think, Charles. Isn't it? We don't want to. Oh, was that it? Can I go now? No, no, you've got to oh. stay. Stay around us. We've got a great uh, guest with us today. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, from the Nine Years podcast. Please welcome to the It's All Cobblers to Me preview show, Mr. George Jones. How are you, George? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Well, it's a, it's a special chat. We would never usually do this for Tuesday night game, so it's a, it's good to have you on. It's a, it's a treat. Treat on the ears, I'd say. Um, I want to start. We've, we've done this a couple of times, it seems like, Charles, in the, in the last few preview shows, but we have mm. to start off with a relegation in terms of what we talk about, George. Um, yeah. Five seasons in League One, you finished 15th, 18th, 20th, 20th and 19th. Uh, your stay ended last season when you finished 23rd in League One. And this this really shocked me. I don't think I heard much about it at the time for some reason, but you didn't win any of the last 27 games. So yeah, that's no. going back to December. What's, what's gone on there? Yeah, so, so our last win before the start of this season was mid-December um, away to Akronson. So we went, yeah, we ended up in 27 games without a win in our run-in last year, which is the sort of collapses of all collapses, considering we were sort of on the edge of automatic promotion this time last year. And the second half of last year was just absolutely horrific for all of us, to be honest. What do you put that down to? What, what happened? Because it, it always felt like you were a club to kind of emulate in League One in terms of getting up and staying there and and not punching above your weight, but kind of really punching with the big hitters. You get occasional big wins and you're there. You, you didn't really seem in massive danger of going down. You always seem to be keep your head above water. What what went wrong that just all of a sudden? I think it was a sort of uh, a load of factors all coming together at the wrong time. We lost James Simmons, who was one of our coaches. He went back to Chelsea. He was on a sort of coaching loan deal with us. Um, Ollie Palmer, our star striker and top scorer in that first half of the season, we sold him to Wrexham and didn't really get an adequate replacement, even though Sam Cosgrove has done well at Plymouth so far this year. Um, yeah, it was just a load of factors that really came together and sort of counted against us. load of young players, not much experience, an inexperienced coach in Mark Robinson, who was his first job in senior football. Just loads of things came together and just never really looked like turning it around. And, you know, probably from January onwards, we knew we were in real trouble. So it was a bit of a surprise we lasted as long as we did with our relegation only confirmed on the final day. Yeah, you took it right to the end, didn't you? I think Mark Robinson left about, was it 20 games into that run? Yeah. Do you think it should have come a bit earlier to give you more of a fighting chance? No, I mean, I, I think personally I would have kept Robin, Mark Robbo on till the end of the season and probably into this season, even with that run, just because it was a long-term project. We had a poor budget last year and it, things never really looked like turning around. And, you know, even Mark Bowen, when he came in, we didn't get a win in the last seven games, which were under Mark Bowen. Um, I, I personally would have given Robbo the end of last season and the start of this year to see if anything could happen. Because I think there were a lot of factors that came together that made it almost mission impossible for us to stay up last year. Yeah, so Mark Bowen's come in as as the caretaker until yeah. the end of the season. When you're looking at that and you, you're in such a bad run, is that something you 
were quite happy with a caretaker until the end of the season? Would you, would you have preferred someone to get the job full time, go out and get a, a proper full time manager, and so that they're in place and they've got a, a summer straight away to work with what they've got? Yeah, I think in that situation, you've got to go in and try and get a firefighter in who can just come in and do what you can to try and keep you up. You know, it didn't work out for us. And then you start looking to build long term in the summer, um, which we, we have. We've got Johnny Jackson come in now. The recruitment has been on paper quite good. Loan deals coming in are really good as well with a couple of bright prospects in from Brentford, especially. So I, I think we did the right thing of trying to get a caretaker. It just didn't work out under Mark Bowen. Yes, it's gone... Uh, like I say, right to the final day. Was it? Was there any? I mean, you've gone so long without a win. You kind of, when you're in that position, you just think it's got to be around the corner. It's got to be around the corner, and you've had a decent enough start to keep to give you that little bit of hope still that you're, you're clinging on. You're clinging on. You've gone what six games losing in a row between sort of start of March, start of April. Is there anything in that you just think you, you've got a bit of hope or not? Or did you just because there's a lot of draws as well, weren't there? There's a lot of tight games and stuff. Yeah, there, there wasn't really any game in that run where we were, you know, beaten and well out of it. They were all quite close competitive games. We led in a lot of them and then threw the lead away. It's It was one of those of, I think, in January, February, the first, I know it's going to sound weird, but the first 10 games of that winless run, we thought we might turn it around. Um, but then I think after that, it was just a general resignation to, we all know where this is going. And it was a bit like trying to turn around an oil tanker. So I think we all sort of knew where that was heading from that point on, and then it was just a matter of time. What's it like in, or what was it like, George, in, in the fan base? Because I, I imagine with Wimbledon, and this is, you know, no no actual evidence for this whatsoever. I literally just imagine that because of where you've basically come from, and, and you know, working so hard to get from, you know, that that very beginning after everything that had happened with the original club to get up to league one that that maybe actually there wasn't as much of a uproar let's say over the fact that you know you were looking at relegation back down into league two um whereas with us if we're ever looking at, at relegation from league one then then it's Armageddon sometimes, isn't it, Danny? It's, it doesn't make for happy, um, ha- happy footballing fans. Yeah, I think it's a two-edged sword because partially, you know, where we've come from, it does make everyone it give everyone a bit of perspective in terms of yeah, we're dropping back into League Two, but we've come from the combined counties mm. twice, so it's a minor setback, but it's not major. But then you counter that by it was our first relegation in twenty-two years. So for a large number of our fans, we'd never experienced failure before. We'd had five promotions in nine years. And then it was one of those things where it just it felt like it was a failure for the first time for us in or in people from our generation. It's the first time we've failed in our lifetime. So it really was a sort of a double-edged sword on that. But I do think the fan base stuck with it and, you know, supported the team for a lot longer than other teams probably would have. And you see that by the fact that we had a manager go on a 20-game winless run. Mm. And it still divided the fan base when he lost his job. Um, so it, it really is an interesting one. I do think we're a much more sort of patient fan base than others. But yes, yeah, I think it really divided the fan base at the time, and that those divides haven't really healed yet. Cobblers fans would have seen him out after what about oh, five uh, games? Yeah, I was going to say five or six. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's probably why I'm so surprised there because I didn't hear like anything about it on like social media, things like that about, because usually when a run like this happens, you you see fans go into meltdown. You see things all over the news. Oh, they haven't won again. Another game without a win, another game without a win. It it just doesn't seem to appear. And like you said, Charles, it's like six, seven, eight, nine games without a win for us. It's, it's complete carnage. Yeah. Um, uh, interestingly though, I didn't see anything in the, uh, you know, Actual media, not just social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, exactly, you know, yeah. It, there, there wasn't like, um, you know, Quest weren't running, um, you, you know, massive a- analysis packages on on what was going wrong at Wimbledon or anything like that. It was just almost, you know, completely under the radar, the fact that you'd lost so many games. I mean, not necessarily the relegation. You know, you can look at the league table and see where you are. But all of those, the, you know, winless games, you would think that someone would have gone, there's a story there. Maybe somebody would notice it. But obviously not for some reason. 
Yeah, I, th- I think a large amount of that's down to, you know, Mark Robinson, who was the coach for the first 20 games of that run, of him being such a nice guy, getting on with everyone, and everyone just really wanted him to turn it around. Mm. So there wasn't anyone drawing any sort of negative, or many people trying to build negativity around that because we all wanted it to turn around and we wanted Robbo to be the person to turn it around. So I think it was a lot of positivity to try and encourage it to. It was just one of those things of we could tell it just it wasn't happening for us, um, which is a shame really because it, it, we were starting to build things in the first half of last year, but you can't argue with a 27-game winless run. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Right. Did, um, did Mark Bowen come in specifically until the end of the season? He knew that he was going to be off. Yeah, he he, he came in, um, you know, with his assistant, Eddie, um, with, just with the aim of purely trying to keep us up. The intention was never for them to stay beyond the end of last season. It was always just see what they can do and see if they can, I mean, I compared it earlier to an oil tanker, <laughs> see if they could turn it around. And to be honest, that, to be fair to them, I don't think anyone could have. It was just one of those things of so many things went wrong that I don't think anyone could have turned that around. Mm. Johnny Jackson in over the summer, uh, I from what I gathered from his first, especially the first little bit of his time at Charlton, he was really popular there at the start, wasn't he? Firstly, I think he he won about nine of the first 13, 14 games there. Former player for them as, as well. Um, always seemed a really popular character there. Were you pretty happy with that? Yeah, I, th- I think Johnny Jackson was sort of a, a pleasing appointment for most of our fan base. He did well at Charlton. Their fans were disappointed to see him go and they all gave him a glowing reference when we announced it. So I think we were all really encouraged to see that come in. Good young coach, he's come in. Good assistant manager coming in, Terry Skiverton, who's had a lot of experience working around the lower leagues. So it's the dream sort of pairing of, you know, a young up-and-coming coach with more of a grizzled coach who knows what they're doing has been in the game for as long as anyone can remember. So I think there was a lot of optimism when they were appointed, which is probably something you wouldn't expect when you're on such a bad run. Um, coming off the back of a relegation. But there was certainly a lot of optimism around the place when we announced Johnny's arrival. Yeah, I think Skiverton was with him at Charlton as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, so obviously a bit of experience, a bit of a bit of a young blood there. How, how have you found it so far under Jackson? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, the recruitment's gone down very well. You bring in, look, we've brought in a couple of big names with Alex Pierce and Chris Gunter coming. Obviously Gunter being with him at Charlton. Got a couple of loanees and um, Hudlin, who's joined us on loan. He's a big six foot nine striker. He's joined on loan from Huddersfield. who just joined them from Solly Hull. Uh, and then we, the two star recruitments have been Paris Magoma, who's a great holding midfielder, and Nathan Young, who's a striker. Both of them on loan from Brentford. So the recruitment side's been very good, and probably the best summer of recruitment we've had in terms of personnel for a long, long time. But we're a bit like on numbers. The squad depth wasn't great. So it really was a mixed transfer window. And the style of football under Johnny Jackson is sort of dividing the fan base. It's very different to what we've seen before under our last few managers. It's much lower pace. It's much more possession-based. We'll we'll retain the ball, draw the others out, and then try and hit them on a counter-attack. So it's more boring. Almost is probably the wrong word for it. It's the word a lot of our fans are using to describe it. So he really has sort of had a mixed reaction to him the first month or so in. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a real fine line, isn't there, when it comes to you know playing styles as to what fans deem to be enjoyable, because uh, you know we we've had the a similar kind of thing, haven't we, Danny? If we go back to the Keith Curl era, where you know essentially Route One is Keith Curl's favourite style of playing the game, or direct as he would probably prefer to to call it, and of course we had some success in the 2019-20 you know, season and, and more so the playoffs, didn't we, um, with it and, and basically blowing teams away um, just by, yeah, getting it up the top end and then uh, keeping it there and what did Keith say? Earning the right to play, I think it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> some nonsense like that. Um, and obviously fans didn't like the style and, you know, I know that we had conversations, didn't we, Danny, on our pod? And you were very much in the camp of, well, if we're winning games, I'm happy. Yeah, um, 100%. But even you, towards the end of Keith's tenure, 
the style was. I think I hung on longer than a lot thin. of people did. Well, you did, yeah, but it was wearing thin. It was, but, yeah. <laughs> but it is it is interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, to me, that doesn't sound too far different what you just described uh, Wimbledon's playing style as George to what we do, which is yeah. uh, you know now under John Brady, which is control possession and look to create or you know look for the gaps to appear for us to then try and hit you on you know not necessarily the counter but you know force an opening for the attack to take place and it's interesting that you're saying that you think some of your fans are calling it and i appreciate you said boring isn't necessarily the correct word but the difference between what you've just described it or the way that your fans feel about it is is completely different to how we feel about it. Maybe it's just because of where we've come from with our style. We've evolved from being long ball direct into this more, um, you know, passing along the floor and looking for gaps kind of thing. Whereas maybe you've gone from being more attack minded, you know, fast paced wing play I don't know that for definite, but you know, if you then drop down into it, maybe it's coming the other way, and therefore you do your perspective is different on it. It's interesting. Yeah, so under Mark Robinson, we played four two three one, and it was hyper aggressive, hyper fast pace. You know, exciting winger. So it was a very high tempo style. So it is almost a complete opposite to what we saw under him. And the style of play that we play, and it sounds like you guys play as well, is one of those styles that you can get away with if you're winning games. But when results are not going your way and you're not having sort of a bit of luck, that's when it starts to irritate with fans a bit because at the end of the day, if you're going to lose, fans would rather you run around like headless chickens in an aggressive manner and try and score goals in the process rather than have 70% possession and no territory and three shots on goal, which is what it was like at mm-hmm. Stockport in a 1-0 defeat the other week. It's, it's one of those things of it's, it's a style of football you only get away with, with results going your way. And at the moment, the results are not quite going our way. So it's starting to irritate some fans. Uh, interestingly, because obviously you started the season quite well. You you won your opening game of the season, a 2-0 win over Gillingham at home at Plough Lane. I mean, we, we've talked about that horrible winless run. How good did that feel, getting that first win in, what, 28 games? Yeah, it, it was absolutely essential, you know, when... It's not just sort of that winless run, but whenever you have a relegation, it's one of those things you have to do. You have to get that first win early. You have to get a clean sheet. Just tick those boxes and start to build a bit of confidence, especially when a new manager comes in. So to play Gillen and who we all thought was going to be a really tough game, obviously they came down with us last year. So to get that first win on the opening day at home in front of a big crowd at Plough Lane was so important. And it was something we were really hoping we'd be able to build on. Yeah, you got a couple of draws after that. Reason like a point at Hartlepool, good draw with Doncaster. You could have, if you like, held on, they, were, they can they scored the goal with about four minutes left. But then hammered by Mansfield. What, what happened at Mansfield? It seems like a massive outlier in your season. Um, four games in, the rest of your results two nil, one nil, a couple of draws. Mansfield lost five two. Was that solely down to Gunter's red card, Chris Gunter's red cards? Yeah, so it was one of those. We we had a great start to that game, and then it was a Tuesday night in Mansfield, so obviously it started pouring down with rain. <laughs> and then um, a moment of madness from our leader and most experienced player in the pitching, Chris Gunter, who was wrongly sent off, and we can say wrongly because it was overturned. Um, but for him to get sent off, and then we just collapsed, went in at half time, knowing the game was probably over. But then we came out in the second half with no intention of anything other than hanging in there with the dear life of trying to get a two-all draw out of it or only lose by one. And then we just sort of caved in and it ended up being 5-2, but it could have easily been 7 or 8-2 that night. It was not a great night for us. And I think most of our fans are trying to forget that one. <laughs> yeah. Any trip to Mansfield you want to forget yeah. relatively quickly, I would think. Um, back at Plough Lane again, coming up to about two years now, I think, is it? Yeah, yes. coming come up very quickly to two years, obviously only a year or so with crowds. But mm-hmm. yeah, we, we moved in in, was it November or end of October before? So two years, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Doesn't seem that long. No, I guess because it, it started out, would it have started out in lockdown yeah. with only then this mattering of fans after that maybe uh, for a little bit. Does, has it started to feel like home to you again yet? 
Yeah, I, th- I think the club have done a lot of good work on it and volunteer groups have done a huge amount of work on it to try and make it feel like home, to give it an identity and not make it one of these new grounds that you could walk into and think this could be any ground in the country. Mm-hmm. It's starting to really feel like a Wimbledon stadium. We've got a lot of memorabilia. We've got loads of artwork on the walls inside the ground and a load of things that are really starting to make it feel like home. But we're still waiting for that that memorable night that you have every ground as one where mm. it's your first memory of that ground is that game. We haven't really had that yet. We've had, you know, the first game there with full attendance back after lockdown, which was great, but we haven't had that first big night there yet. And hopefully that'll come this season at some point. Yeah. Hopefully um, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say that, Danny, yeah. Um, I've got to ask George based on, um, you know, things that I've seen on social media. And, I, and I've just gone on to the AFC Wimbledon website as well, um, just to double check that people aren't just uh, going over the top here with no real reason. Um, ticket prices. I, I, I'm, I was going on to sort of go, oh, why are they so expensive is the question. Now, I actually thought I was going to be talking about a top price of £27. I'm looking at the match day ticket price on here and the top price to go and watch AFC Wimbledon at Plough Lane in the, and correct me if I'm wrong in saying the name of this, the Kappa stand. Yeah, the Kappa uh, stand. Kappa stand. The top price is £35. Yeah, I would say that's that if you buy in advance, it's two quid more expensive if you buy on the day. <laughs> so 37 quid is the top price you'll pay for a normal seat but that, that's not hospitality or anything that's just 37 quid for um, a normal for a normal seat yeah that's nuts which what? in in <laughs> any league in this country is ridiculous let alone league two yeah. um it got quite a lot of attention in our fan base when we announced we were increasing our prices this year what were they we, last year then george just to give us that comparison i don't off the top of my head i think it's been a I think it was 30 or 32 last year. Okay. okay. Um, so a, a small increase, a 10% or so increase. Um, but it's, it's it's a lot of money. And you look the cheapest adult's price that you would pay on a match day is 27 quid in a non-family area mm. for an adult, which is is mad. But you look at our ownership model and the way we have to fund the club, it sort of makes sense. And you compare that to the fact that pretty much every game this year we've sold out on new ground. So it's it's one of those things of I'd like us to be cheaper, but if we're selling out at these prices, it's it's one of those things of I can see why they've done it. But I'd I'd like it to be cheaper. I think we all would. Is there is there an actual reason? Have they given a reason for why it's that much? Because, I mean, the one that would jump out to me, whether this is true or not, would be, well, we've just built a new stadium. We've got to earn the money back for that. I mean, have they given that as an, not as an excuse, but as a reason for it? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, oh, we're found owned as a club, so we don't have an investor to put in loads of money. So it means we need to fund the playing budget completely ourselves, mostly through ticket revenue. We need to pay off a large amount of debt to do with the new stadium as well. So I think we were all expecting it to be expensive, mm. but I think at £35 or £37 cost a lot of people off guard for a normal seat. Yeah. I mean, if, if you are going and you're a Cobblers fan, um, then you can get a ticket in advance for £25, um, but it's on the day it increases by £2, so therefore it'll be £27. And if you're listening to this now as it goes out on Tuesday, then um, and you haven't got a ticket yet, it's going to cost you £27. Concessions, which is your over 65s, students uh, and, and people that are unemployed, £17 and anyone that's aged 17 and under is £7. So, I mean, one thing that I will say is that uh, compare that to what I paid at Crew, for example, that's basically the same as what I paid for at Crew, except um, Crew were charging everybody over the age of 17 that £25 straight off the bat. So, at least there's that little bit there where it's 17 quid if you're 17 and over, I'm guessing here, well, student, yeah, it'd be 17 and over. And then under 17 is £7, which I think is quite good because I think I think we charge for under 17s maybe about £12 at Sixfield. So at least, you know, there's a little bit just to just to give it a little bit of um, mm. positive, I suppose, on that, Danny. Oh, um, yeah. I want, sorry. Go on. I, I, I was just going to say that uh, and ask you, Danny, if the Cobblers were fan-owned, could you see people going to watch them 
for £37. In League uh, 2. <laughs> in League 2, no. Um, you, you'll get the, what, 3,000 people probably every week that that you hardcore, that you go, you get your season tickets and everything. Mm-hmm. The casual fan, I don't think it would at the start specifically. Um mm. I think it's it's difficult with it being fan owned. I wanted to ask actually, George, what, how that kind of thing actually works. I've got no idea how it works with fan ownership in terms of that kind of decision on ticket pricing. For example, how does that work with a fan owned club like yourselves? So on things like season tickets, we're asked for our thoughts. So this year there was a, a survey that went out to all season ticket holders and all Don's Trust members. Mm-hmm. Um, the Don's Trust is the sort of fans trust that owns the club. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all had a say on what we thought we'd do, whether we'd support an increase in prices and all of that sort of thing. But then it comes down to the, this is where it gets kind of complicated, so apologies, but the PLC board, which operate the club on a day-to-day basis, then suggest the prices and then the Don's Trust board just oversee them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the way it kind of works. So the fans don't get directly say, I'll pay 37 quid. But the fans do say, I'd support an increase in prices this year, which is okay. what happened over the summer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting to see how it all comes together. It is interesting. I mean, I've just had a very quick look just to see what season tickets cost. So the most expensive is 520 and the cheapest. Uh, so we'll go with the cheapest adult one was 350 So, I mean, that's mm. not... I was going to say it's not too bad. I mean, cobblers are what about three fifty something Sorry, like that? Yeah. I think that, and that was our most expensive. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know. On one positive, uh, a child would cost thirty eight pounds. Anyone seventeen and under thirty eight quid would be. Yeah, cheapest. I think that, that's the thing in it. You kind of balance out a little bit with the mm. under seventeen and the seventeens. That's the next generation essentially in it. So yeah, it's it's difficult one to balance and. I, I just, I don't want it. Yeah, I don't want it to take over the, the episode whatsoever. But I just, I look at it and I just go, fan ownership. Sounds brilliant on paper, and obviously there's a lot of talk about it, and has been a lot of talk about it when it comes to the cobblers. But, and and obviously Wimbledon are always a club that are mentioned about. Oh, it works for them, and okay, yes, it does. But I don't see how this, with these ticket prices, could work for the cobblers, personally, um, and that that would worry me. Um, for me, I know we're talking about the the future. How do we get more people coming to the games? If the cobblers were to have ticket prices of that high, you wouldn't have any future because it was you'd be pricing people out. Is my belief? Yeah. Yeah, could well be. Um, do you move on a little bit to yeah. some players? Oh, love player. I've got, I've got a very special player to talk about, Charles. Um, Have you? George. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was browsing through the uh, the summer transfer business. Mm. Came to the out section. Yes. Uh, and uh, one name stood out, Charles, which I, I don't know if it's jumped out to you yet, if you've gone uh, through it. I, oh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, I <laughs> there see. There he is. George Egley Kadja. Egg, egg. Yeah. <laughs> what did he make about four appearances for us i think a five for you yeah. he became a cult figure in my mind only <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, just for daddy <laughs> so, I, so i had to ask you about him as soon as i saw his name uh, released i think at the end of last season yeah yeah eggly cadre someone he, he joined us as a young kid he came through our youth system mm. um was released a few years ago had a bit of time bouncing around spent a bit of time at you guys where I think it would be fair to say he didn't have a massive impact. No. Um, and then <laughs> he did it in his first game, he did. <laughs> he did, he yes. did in his first game, and then Danny did his own song. <laughs> so he did have a massive impact. It just wasn't on the pitch. <laughs> um, yeah, but then it, it was in sort of November, December last year, we re-signed him on a short-term contract. He came in, had a couple of good games, and then got injured and never found his way back in the team. Mm. Um, sadly, but it was one of those things of you could tell there were some games where he was such a good player for you. If he had that consistency, mm. he'd easily be a football league player. But now he's, I think he's ended up at Hampton and Richmond or someone in the Conference South. Mm. So that's probably where he'll have to try and rebuild his career. But it's, it's a shame because he had a couple of good games for us and got an incredible assist away to Wickham in what was our penultimate, well, was very, should have been our penultimate winner last season had it not been for a late equaliser for them. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
speaking of former Cobblers players, Alex Pierce was on loan with us. Um, well, it seems like years ago now. His, from Reading, his, wasn't he? From Reading, yeah. yeah. He was, I, I thought he was one of the best loan players I think I've seen played for us. Mm. Um, obviously, gone on to have a really good career um, at Reading. Uh, Derby, I think he spent some time there as well. Millwall had a really good spell. A decent signing for you as well, George. Yeah, Alex Pierce has come in, um, permanent sign-in, really good, high-quality player, you know, years of experience playing at a high level. And the style of football we play now really plays into his strength. We play, you know, back three slash back five. And being in the middle of that three really, you know, protects him from the weaknesses in his game, which is his age, the lack of pace. Um, But he's been a good signing for us, a great leader, looks after the younger players a lot. Seems like a good character around the camp. So he's one of the probably one of the better permanent signings we've had over the summer. And there's a lot of hope for what he can do and lead us to over the next, well, will probably only be a year or two with us. Mm. Uh, alongside him, uh, Chris Gunter as well. We mentioned him a little bit earlier. I don't know why I keep saying his name in a German accent. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> he's not German at all. He's very Welsh. Um, so much bags of experience again at top levels, championship levels. Must have been really happy to get him. I assume that's the Charlton link that's going through the door is it yes obviously he played under Johnny at Charlton and he's he's one of those of just it takes your breath when you sign someone for a club in our size and then you see Chris Gunter signing it really is a how have we managed this because mm. he came in with great pedigree you know he's an incredible player still actively involved in the Welsh setup so we're expecting to lose him for a couple of months when he goes to the World Cup which will be insane to see a player in our squad potentially playing in a World Cup for Wales um, but he's, he's yeah, don't had, get too carried away, George. It is only for Wales. Yeah, that is true. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he he's had a, he's had I think it's fair to say a mixed start to the season. He is playing. Some of our fans think he is being played out of position at the moment. He is being played as a right wing back. Okay. Where it's in, he is perhaps struggling a bit there as he is getting older. His mm. legs are perhaps not what they were. Oh. So <laughs> I, yeah, I'm looking forward you know to interviewing thinking. him after this comes out. Um, so I think it's going to be one of those. Where I do think perhaps he'd be better suited to playing on the right of a three. I think okay. that's perhaps where he'd be better suited nowadays. But yeah. playing on the right wing back, he has had a couple of good games. He has had a couple of you know exciting moments. Had a good couple of assists as well. But he is sort of being exposed a bit because Will Nightingale, who plays on the right of the three at the moment isn't the quickest either. So there is a, a lack of pace on that side and that is probably our weakness at the moment. Danny, what's this noise? That's you rubbing your hands together. No, it's Sam Hoskins Sam his Hoskins hands rubbing his hands together. <laughs> <laughs> I thought as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, it's There's a little opening. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, Harry Pell, really decent at this level, former Accrington and Cheltenham man as well. Um, really good signing that I think for for you guys George and then that's before I get on to Nathan Young Coombs um who has been really good um so far he's he's scored three times for you uh this year in the league at the moment um really impressive signings those two I think yeah um, Harry Powell someone he was with us when we were in league two last time we signed him to Cheltenham he's bounced around you know around the lower division since then, but rejoined him, uh, rejoined us, sorry, we've used the money that we sold uh, Luke McCormack. We sold Luke McCormack to Bristol Rovers and used that money to sign Harry Powell. Um, Harry Powell, we all know what he is. Anyone who's watched any League One or League Two football over the last five years or so, probably even 10 years now, knows what Harry Powell's about. He's aggressive. He'll drive forward with possession in midfield. He's a really exciting midfielder. He's you know got a bit of leadership, which is something we were lacking last year. So I do think it's a great signing, but NYC, Nathan Young Coombs has been our signing of the summer potentially on loan from Brentford. Great striker, proper poacher. He's one of those, of, he won't have a huge number of touches in the game, but he would have scored with two of them. Um, mm. He's a very, very high quality striker and he's one of those, of, there's a 20 goal season striker in him. I don't know if it's this year or if it's perhaps a year too early for him, but he's going to be a 20 goal season striker at a very good level in his future. He's, he really is a top player. Mm. It seems a bit of a character as well, from what I've seen, highlights-wise. Yeah, MIC does sort of get himself going a bit. You know, Paris Magoma, our other Brentford loan, he gets himself going a bit. <laughs> to his detriment, he's already been sent off once this year. But those two loanees are really good. They seem to have bought into the culture and are really sort of playing for the shirt, which is strange because you don't always see loanees do that. Mm-hmm. But both of them seem to have really bought into what we're trying to do. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, go on, Chas. I was just going to say, I mean... Uh, uh, 
you're sat 15th in the league at the moment. Um, obviously, uh, a, a fairly, I'd say probably an average start to the season. Two wins, two draws, three defeats at the moment. And uh, you'll be looking to do more than that. What were your expectations for this season, George? Was it to bounce straight back up? Yeah, I think some fans were expecting to bounce back up, but I think most of our more realistic fans knew it would be a mid-table year for us this year where we were going to have a lot of struggles. We were going to have some things that would go well, some things that wouldn't. But then the Don Strauss came out, told us roughly where we are in the budget table, which is second quartile, which is basically sort of seventh to twelfth, roughly. So that has added a bit of pressure now because fans know if that's what we're paying for with those ticket prices that we talked about earlier, mm. we should be seeing that on the pitch. So I think if we don't start turning things around, pressure might start to build because we will be expected to finish higher than we currently are. But it's one of those things for 15th, I bet it could be a lot worse because you know we were due to play late Norwich on Saturday, which was postponed. Um, we play new guys, obviously, on Tuesday. So had we had an extra two defeats, you know, in this week, and then travelling to Carlisle on Saturday next week, um, it could have, uh, we could start slipping down that table. So there's a bit of concern about that. Mm. But I think we're expected to be a bit higher than we already are. Okay. Um, so it's an away day for us, Danny. And mm-hmm. uh, I love this question that we now ask on an away day. Um, George, where, where's good for Cobblers fans to go and eat and drink on the day before the game? And also, is there anywhere that we should be avoiding? There's nowhere really to be avoiding. I mean, the, the away pub is the halfway house on the Ellsfield, which are both conveniently located both next to Ellsfield Station. So the Ellsfield is probably your best bet for any travelling fans on the train. Um, and it's something to eat. Loads of stuff in, in London or going out and having something to eat in Ellsfield or Wimbledon. There's nowhere to avoid, really. There's a home pub called the Corner Pin, which is next to the away end, which is weird. They've made it a home pub. Um, <laughs> but you, there's not, there shouldn't be trouble there. It's just that you see a pub next to the away end, but it's for home fans only. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I think that's uh, a good bit of information there. Um, I, I always find it... I, I don't know. I, I'd like it when you can go into a, uh, you know, a, a pub together. I get. I understand why. You know, there's the home pub and a, and a designated away fan pub, but I like Rochdale, for example, Danny. Um, don't mm. know whether you've been to Rochdale or yeah. when the last time was, but they've got a pub that is basically attached to one corner of the ground. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. And anybody can go in, home or away fans, and it's really really nice to be able to go into there and mingle and have a chat before the game with fans from, you know, Rochdale and and meet Cobblers fans in there as well. I often, while I understand, as I said, why there's maybe a a pub for each, I I, I sometimes feel, especially when it's a club like uh, like Wimbledon is, which is, you know, very community-based and, you know, (laughs) there's not going to be much animosity, I don't think, between... (laughs) Uh, Northampton Town fans and Wimbledon fans. If anything, we're going to join together in a mutual dislike of a different team that we won't mention. <laughs> uh, and therefore, you know, it's a bit of a shame that we can't necessarily mingle into one pub together. Yeah, I, th- I think it is one of those ones where it is a shame. I mean, if you, any of your fans go into Wimbledon Central, there is, you know, there will be a couple of fans probably drinking in there, and there certainly would be if it was a Saturday game where you guys can all mingle, but everything around the ground is very much either at home or away. Mm. But I think a lot of that's down to the fact that it's a new ground. We've only had fans in it for a year. So everything's a bit more cautious. And hopefully over time, as we've got more and more years in the ground, things will open up so we can have that mingling of fans that makes away day so special. Yeah, good stuff. Should we get on to predictions, Charles? Mm, yes, let's, let's predict, predict it. Predict it. Obviously, both had a rest at the weekend. Potentially, the likes of Josh Eppie get a couple more days to mm. get back to fitness. I'd assume you'd see him a bit more of a, a cameo still. Probably be a similar kind of lineup as we would have expected on Saturday anyway, I would have thought. Uh, AFC Wimbledon, away. Charles, what are you saying? Uh, I Having had a very quick look at Wimbledon's home form, they've won one, drawn one, lost one. So, um, very difficult to really garner any you know statistics and analysis out of that unfortunately um i will go with a cobbler's win 
um, Sam Tobias Hoskins yeah. will seek revenge for that say, last got... minute penalty miss <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, I will go for a... Do you know what? Because we've had a little bit of a break, um, maybe had a bit more time just to um, you know, set our minds, I'm going to go for a first clean sheet of the season, Danny. Uh, I'm going to go with a 2-0 win. Ooh, yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to know what to go for with this one. I think a lot of the time you can get be quite clear either way, which what you think is going to happen. I, I'm struggling to think. I think I'm going to go with a draw for this mm. one. Uh, I think I'll go one all. I think Hoskins is going to get his moment to to avenge his penalty miss. He's going to score a free kick from about 30 yards out. Ooh. Yeah, to smash Thunder. us in front. Thunder bastard. Yes. For Mr. H. Um, and um, he's going to celebrate by grabbing his player of the month trophy that he's won <laughs> and uh, parading it around the pitch. Marvelous. And then Wimbledon are probably going to score straight away to, to equalise. So I'm going to go one all. <laughs> George, what are you thinking for this one? I mean, if we were offered a point now, I'd snap your hand off. So I'd like to say a draw, but realistically, I, I can see it being a 2-1 defeat for us. I can see you guys getting a win. Oh, okay. That's quite a rare occurrence, I think. It is. It is a rare occurrence <laughs> that we have an opposition fan not predict a, a, a positive result. Yeah, that's not. Them. That's only going to go one way, I'd suggest. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I do too. I'm worried now. <laughs> but there yeah. we go. Uh, George, thanks so much for joining us, um, especially at such short notice um, for this week. Hopefully we'll get the game on. It should be all right, hopefully. Um, are you going to the game on Tuesday? Uh, yeah, yeah. go to every game. We, we are doing the pre-match show on the club's official YouTube channel, so any Northampton fans not able to go, feel free to tune in. We're, we'll hopefully have a Northampton fan on that live show as well to get give your side of the pre-match sort mm-hmm. of discussion. This is actually at the ground as well, isn't it? Yeah, this is yeah. live from the ground on the yeah. club's official YouTube channel. Perfect. And um, where can we find you on social media? So you can follow us at 9YRS Podcast and you can follow me at Don. Perfect. Thanks so much, George. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Danny. We'll be back later in the week, hopefully, mm. with another game that's up in the air. Rochdale at home potentially have a preview show uh, stay tuned to all our social media and stuff for the latest on that one but for now let's hope we bring home the points on tuesday and we'll speak to you again later in the week Podcast Network.